and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Eric McMahon. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach, featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Eric onto the show. So, Eric McMahon, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. Well, the pleasure, of course, is all mine. But for those of you who don't know who you are, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, uh, my name is Eric McMahon. I'm the coaching and sports science program manager for the National Strength and Conditioning Association in Colorado Springs. I have a background in professional baseball for about 15 years, working with the Texas Rangers, Milwaukee Brewers, and the MLB Europe program, actually, uh, based out of Italy for uh, a few months back in 2008 and um, had a really great experience with that. And uh, yeah, I have a master's degree from Springfield College in Massachusetts and a bachelor's degree in biology uh, from St. Lawrence University, where I played college football. And that's really where I found my uh, passion for strength and conditioning and led me into this field. Absolutely fantastic. You've got a a wealth of different experiences. um, And your role at the NSCA now is to look after the sports science side of things at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I have the sports science program and the coaching programs, which I really, uh, I like that I get to do both coming from a coaching background and taking coaches along with us as we go down this journey of sports science. Fantastic. So within that role, you also have a lot of contact with uh, different organizations as well, which must be super interesting in terms of looking at what kind of sports science they're implementing, right? Yeah, you know, coming from the professional baseball world, you know, I obviously had that network and just in being in this role now for uh, just over a year, you know, connecting with the NFL, NHL, NBA, um, that's been a really great experience and just connecting with all the uh, strength and conditioning coaches, sports scientists, even some of the medical staff uh, individuals that that work in those areas. It's been uh I've learned so much and connected with so many people, and I think that's one of the things that uh, the NSCA is very passionate about is connecting uh, connecting with and growing the NSCA community uh, to support performance and coaching and, and development of our profession. So um, it's been a really great role. I've really enjoyed it. Absolutely brilliant. So in terms of that sports science side of things, um, the NSCA is obviously kind of a, a strength and conditioning organization. So what's its role within the within sports science field at the moment? Yeah, so uh, we are developing a uh, certification exam for sports science, um, sort of a qualification standard for what a sports scientist is. And I think one of the one of the areas that we recognized the gap was that 
you know, sports science globally is well established, but in North America, uh, it was it was lacking. And truly, the understanding and clarity of what uh, what sports science is. And so, not only are we developing this certification to qualify individuals as sports scientists or to be able to work in the space of sports science, but uh, a number of education resources as well. Um, the the main one right now that just released is the uh, Essentials of Sports Science textbook. Our uh, co-editors on that were Dr. Duncan French and uh, Dr. Lorena Torres Ronda, and they did just a phenomenal job on this book. Uh, we over fifty two uh, expert contributors from all over the world in different areas of sports science. So I really think this is going to provide some structure for how we view sports science. Um, I say within North America, but I think there's going to be value globally as well, just because this is a global conversation. And uh, I think our author list really speaks to that as, uh, pretty well. Oh, yeah, I've seen the author list as well, and it looks fantastic. So I'm super, super excited to get my hands on it. Um, but in, in terms of the reason behind that, where, where did that come from? Because you mentioned that the, the USA might be a little bit behind on some sports science concepts. So where, yeah, why is that, do you think? Yeah, so this process has been going on for uh, since back to about 2018, and um, Dr. Greg Hoff was the president of the NSCA at the time, and I think there was just a number of conversations, and I guess I've always been really engaged with the organization, so I caught some rumblings that this could be uh, something that the NSCA was developing, but around that time, they brought in a group of experts to Colorado Springs and just had a really engaged conversation to address the need for a sports science program. And in the U.S. and developing certifications, you have to complete, it's called a job task analysis. So what would a sports scientist be? What would the qualifications be? And so it it started back then, the conversation. And then it really, um, like I mentioned, kind of evolved into looking at the global offerings and then you know, similarities and what we would need to offer um, across North America to be relevant and meaningful, you know, in the current uh, landscape of sport here. And uh, yeah, it's uh, there, there was just a huge gap. And we, you know, I can speak from my baseball experience that I think we all have that professional drive to do as much for our athletes as we can, whether we're a strength coach, whether we're an athletic trainer, physical therapist, there's so many professions that you could say fit underneath sports science. And, um, and that's an area that sport itself pushes us to the edge of our scope of practice in a lot of ways, because we are just trying to serve our organizations and serve our athletes as best we can. And so now with all this great information and research over many years, and now technology has has uh, made it so accessible for us so we can monitor and measure uh, and, and process information, complex information uh, really well, it, uh, you know, there's a need for this advanced skill set and curriculum. And that's really what this program is about. It's absolutely brilliant. So, I want to get onto the, the meat and potatoes of our chat today, and that's kind of looking towards the future. So obviously you guys are, are planning for the future with making some fantastic resources. Um, and you've got a really cool insight into loads of different practitioners and what they're doing and what the future might hold for them. So 
when you when you look at the sports science industry as a whole, not specifically at the the tasks that they they do, for example, but how we can maybe have impact on our athletes. Um, what do you think the future is there? How do we how do we have more impact over the next uh, five to ten years? Yeah, um, that's a great question. You know, to me, you know, the success of a sports science team, and I like to think of it that way. Uh, the success of a sports science team relies heavily on organizational structure. And, you know, and that includes all the different professional disciplines and areas of expertise. So I consider sports science a, basically an umbrella concept that, you know, we are going to have dedicated sports scientists roles. And you look at there's going to be high resource programs, low resource programs. There's going to be programs that utilize dual role practitioners, and and we see this. Uh, we see this in a number of different uh, areas already, but it's something that, you know, with, you know, it's interesting. You know, with the huge emphasis on soft skills and communication and relationships that we are really dialing into uh, on the coaching side right now. I think we have to remember that our professional relationships and our professional communication, that relies so heavily on leadership structures and organizational structure. And one thing I, I can speak to from, you know, working in sport is that, you know, we tend to take a very idealistic approach of I'm going to put this program in place and then that's how it's going to impact the athlete. But we have to remember that the athlete's experience is oftentimes more of a hallway approach where they are coming into contact with different professionals, different areas of expertise uh, at different times and throughout the day and often in passing within their team and locker room environments. And so the true focus needs to be on the collective messaging and sort of the uh, just the collaborative uh, approach in the universal messaging that uh, that a department is putting in place to to increase performance or to just support these athletes uh, for success over time and and it truly is a long term process so I think it really uh, the leadership and organizational structure is a huge is a huge area I think to focus on going forward because we know technology is going to continue to advance we know that our uh, we're going to have more research. We're going to have uh, great tools to put into place, but we have to bring it back to the practitioner and really deliver it to the athlete in the best way possible. I think that sounds absolutely excellent. And could you give us maybe an example of how that would then look for you? If, you, if you're talking about a, an organizational structure which is ready for the future and allows the practitioners to really get the best out of themselves and, and those around them, um, how, does then that, how does that look for you in, in practice as such? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. And I think there are so many different scenarios out there right now. But one thing when I when I'm connecting with coaches in the field, you know, there is this voice of, you know, what do you do when you you become a senior level coach and you want to advance into a leadership role? Well, what does that look like? What's the pathway to do that? And I think we all know those individuals that maybe they are an associate athletic director, or uh, they advance and become, you know, uh, part of more of the front office or administration side of things. Uh, I know in Olympic sport, we have 
high performance directors and those positions are starting to uh, grow just in in they become more administrative, but there is a knowledge base there that it, that includes sports science and includes, you know, it, these people come from a number of different disciplines. But the one thing that hasn't existed is really the track to get there, uh, unless you happen to fall into it and have just that really idealistic uh, research and practitioner background that you can that you can relate well on all fronts. But I think as sport advances, it's going to be really valuable for uh, leadership, even general managers and and uh, directors of athlete development and those types of positions to have at least some knowledge uh, within certain disciplines of sports science so that they can uh, effectively lead those types of departments. And so I see those types of leadership leadership positions being very valuable in bringing together conversations for example, between the strength and conditioning staff, the athletic training staff, uh, mental skills, nutrition, you know, that's an area that's really grown, you know, just as from my baseball background, just as strength and conditioning came on the scene after athletic training, well, nutritionists, and uh, we have registered dietitians joining the training staff now. And so it becomes more collaborative and I think we need to get more organized with it. So that's, that's sort of what I would aspire to for a model of of building that this podcast is also brought to you by flex flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market developed by the team at gymware flex is the only laser-based training system available and it's this unique technology that makes flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub 500 us dollar category it's wireless portable and it's super user-friendly Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. I think that's uh, super interesting. And you, you touched earlier on technology as well. So, yeah, I was, I was interested to see whether you think there are particular areas, uh, more specific areas, maybe technology, maybe communication, which you mentioned as well. Um, what do you think are going to be the biggest advancements then for us as uh, sports scientists? over the coming years. Yeah, so so this is a time. It's interesting because the technology, we have all these shiny new toys, right? And it's exciting and it's like uh and we get excited about that. Uh but the a real positive I see with athletes is that athletes are craving more information right now about their performance. And so Basically, this technology and just, you know, I've heard a term digital DNA. These athletes have digital DNA. You know, it's like there's a new meaning to being intrinsically motivated for sport. You know, you have to seek out additional feedback. You know, I remember playing college football and seeing uh, seeing myself on video really for the first time. And it's like that eye opening, like, man. Man, I'm not as good as I thought I was, or, or <laughs> that's that's really what I look like doing this. But I think that's more a part of sport culture now. And but you know, and we know this is going to continue to advance. Um, you know, and I think some examples that we do really well. You know, we're getting more skilled with applying training methods around the force velocity curve, whether that be uh, velocity based training or or force plate research that's out there. Um, 
we do pretty well with compiling GPS information and monitor, you know, in monitoring and for determining readiness. I think those are some key areas uh, that they get a lot of attention. But I think, you know, for future research, I think it's really important to bring it back to the practitioner and explore some of the coaching elements. And the one term I want to throw out there is best practices. It's not this piece of technology, we have it, so we have to use it universally, uh, you know, you know, specifically, you know, um, how does the use of digital programming and technology in the weight room impact training adherence or communication and performance outcomes? We don't really have those answers. These are new toys for us. We need to ask those questions. You know, are there intrinsic or motivational factors that will determine athletes, athlete success with certain technologies. And um, I just think it's important we remember that coaches and practitioners are the delivery mechanism and uh, will remain that way. Uh, and so we have to think of the, these new advancements as empowering for our uh, coaches and practitioners in support of athletes and not just, uh, not just, uh, new toys that we're going to use universally and kind of turn a blind eye to the, to the process there. So best practices, I think that's really important as we move forward in empowering the coaches and, and practitioners. So there's no, uh, there's no shiny new toys that you think, Oh, that's going to be the next big thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, th one thing I, you know, I, I'm kind of a VBT guy, you know, I've presented on VBT a good amount and I'm, you know, there, there's a few different technologies in play uh, with with VBT, and uh, I, I really am intrigued by some of the 3D camera technology that's out there. And I think when we get really good, and there's like facial recognition and all these all these features that take out some of the um, you know athlete having to manage the iPad or having an extra coach in the rack to uh, basically uh change settings and when it becomes a little more automated uh that i think is going to be a game changer because it'll be more seamless with the technology so that's that's one area i pay attention to just because i'm sort of a geek on the vbt side but i uh uh yeah i i, I would say I, I look at it a little bit more broadly uh the thirty thousand foot view at times because no no matter what t piece of technology we focus on, there needs to be a quality process in place to make it uh, effective. And and for and that's going to be different for every situation and team environment we're in. So um, I tend to focus a lot more on the process side. And uh, but I love the tech, and I think it's um, I think it's really exciting just the the growth we've had in that area. I think it's, it's super interesting to hear that you're. Uh yeah, interest in the technology, but also you think that the biggest gains are to be had from improving the processes around uh, the staff members, the organizational structure. I think that's uh, super interesting to hear. But uh, before we run out of time, what I want to do is actually the most difficult question that we can imagine. And that is, what is the one thing you see or do differently, which the rest of the world can learn from? Um, yeah, that's a you're trying to stump me on this one. No, this is a, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> it was deliberately horrible. <laughs> that was the first sentence, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is, um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of debates and what I'd call like turf wars in our, in our industry. 
And they aren't always the most productive for us. You know, and I think there's some sort of there's 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 healthy debate out there. Uh, but I like to think conversations versus debates tend to be a lot more productive. And, you know, the one thing I've always seen in whatever new situation I've been in is that there's always been more similarities than differences in in how training and performance was being approached. You know, and, and I remember that when I first got into professional baseball, when I got to the uh, major league level versus the minor league level, um, you know, just the differences. I, I can think of there, there's always been that conversation of, oh, pro versus college sports, similarities, differences. and But everybody tends to focus on the differences and how, you know, in in how different a college coach is than a pro- professional coach or and and I think that is that is a flaw in what we do. I think, you know, there's a huge need to come together uh, within the performance community so that we can better serve our organizations and athletes. And to me, the best starting point is always what we have in common and the similarities of how we approach our work. And the one thing I, I would, I'd say I, I would looking forward, you know, and the one thing I would do different, I, I think is, you know, every great staff I've been a part of has always had an onboarding process that creates buy-in and includes healthy conversations and brings about a collective approach. So I think we speak to that a lot in building our teams up and building our athletes, but we need to do the same thing on the staff level as well. So what we aspire for, for our athletes we need to uh, have this, those same aspirations and building that buy-in and approach uh, towards what we do uh, with all of our coaches and across departments. Because now that we're working in a sports science space, which is uh, interdisciplinary, and so it's going to involve uh, a number of different professionals that carry a number of similar views. And so that to me is a very important message that I try to bring in my work with the NSCA and something I've learned that uh, just from my observations in the field. I think that's absolutely excellent. So Eric, massive thanks for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hey, Matt, I I really appreciate you having me on and um, I look forward to um, uh, please share my contact info uh, in the show notes. And I I look forward to anybody who uh, reaches out. I'm always available to connect with coaches and and professionals uh, home and abroad, you know, here in the U.S. or internationally. I, I really like what you guys do. Fantastic. Thank you, mate. That's, uh, that's all going to be in the show notes. Um, I've already put it in there. So uh, as soon as this one is live, it'll be uh, ready to be accessed. So that's all sorted. Thank you so much. Pleasure, mate. Thank you very much. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. And a massive thanks to Eric for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to check out the Coach Academy, which has tons of great sports science lectures on there. The lectures are around two hours of content broken down into bite-sized chunks. The bite-sized chunks are around 10 to 15 minutes each, and that means that you can squeeze in one lecture around your busy coaching schedule. So if you're interested, we've got a seven-day free trial waiting for you in the show notes. And be sure to click that one in just a few seconds' time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, be sure also to hit the subscribe button. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible content and the best possible guests. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.